Good morning. How are y'all? Good, good, good. It's good to be here with you all this morning. Uh, today is the last day of South By, so the other half of our church will be back next week. Uh, we're good to be here. If I sound like I am preaching with my nose clogged, it's because that is literally what is going on. All right, so uh, yeah, good to be here with you all this morning. Uh, real quick, I got noted this literally like six seconds ago, so uh, I believe this is right, but I actually believe that we have a World War II vet. Uh, here with us today, um, and so I just want to give a round of applause. This is Blair's grandfather with us, and so, um, yeah. Thank you for serving, sir. Thank you. Yeah, there's not often you get that, so that's a blessing for us to even be able to see that. Um, okay, so hey, we're in Genesis, uh, and we are starting a new series today, uh, studying one of the most, in my opinion, important sections of Scripture, and arguably one of the most character-emphasized uh, uh, persons in Scripture, which is that of Abraham. So uh, just a brief recap before we kind of dive in here to make sure that we're all on the same page. So, so far, Genesis has opened up us with this story of hope, with this beautiful, loving, benevolent, gracious creator God who desired intimacy, relationship with mankind. And so he created mankind because he wanted to bestow his benevolence upon somebody else, aka us. So he gives us that. He gives us one choice. We can either uh, submit to him, trust him as God, or we can kind of try to be our own gods and make our own rules and do what we want to do. And you know the story, we chose this route, okay? So at that point in Genesis chapter 3 to Genesis chapter 11, there's this downward spiral, right? And you just see this downward, downward, downward. It gets worse and worse and worse until finally God decides with the story of Noah to wipe out uh, mankind, to start all over, if you will, to have new beginnings. Now you would think that that sort of judgment, that sort of aggression, that sort of punishment even would kind of rectify the situation, would shape up mankind, but it doesn't do that, okay? In fact, in a lot of ways, the story reminds me of my uh, three-year-old daughter who you can take away toys, you can spank, you can uh, do whatever you need to do, and she will still disobey you, all right? Because ultimately, there's sin in man's heart, and we see that. And so you get this downward spiral again until you get all the way down to the Tower of Babel. Man tries to be their own gods once again and even build a tower to reach up into heaven, which is really, in a lot of ways, indicative of how we live our lives. We try to work our way into intimacy, work our way into heaven, work our way into a relationship with God, but that always falls short. And so God scatters their language really in an act of both judgment yet mercy and scatters them throughout the earth. And that's kind of where we get today with Abraham. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Genesis chapter 12 is where we'll be in most of the morning. If you don't have a Bible, there's some under every second and third chair somewhere around you. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, please take and keep that. It's our gift to you. We want you to have the word, and so please use that. You can also follow along on your smartphone. If you have the Uversion app underneath the live section, uh, click on events, type in the well Austin. You can follow along that way. Uh, if you don't have that app or don't know what I'm talking about, you can take this link. If you can see through my head this side of the room, all right, and put it right into your browser, and you'll be able to follow along that way. Uh, there are notes, scripture. We say this every week because we mean it. We want your eyes on the text, okay? We don't want to be cute with the scripture. We're not trying to make things up here. We think that this is the word of God to us and how he wants to communicate his love, his grace, his mercy to his creation. God is still a benevolent, loving God who wants intimacy with the people he's created. And 
that's how he shows himself throughout the scriptures. So um, I've also mentioned this before, but I'll mention it again here. Uh, if you happen to miss a Sunday, uh, I would encourage you to try to keep up on the podcast, which you can find online, uh, mainly because Genesis is a story that ties together so much that uh, it's not that you'll be completely lost if you just come in, but the story is that much more rich when you see how it connects all throughout. It's really one story being told about the seed that is to come from Genesis 3.15. So um, there's that. All right, so God's will is going to be accomplished no matter what. That's what we said last week. So he scatters humanity, and then now we start with this new section of Genesis called God's covenants because God lays out all these covenants to mankind in the next couple of chapters, in the next several weeks, that's what we'll look at. So Genesis chapter 12, let us go ahead and pick it up in verse 1. Man, praise the Lord for the scriptures. Amen. Amen. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, there are several beautiful things here, but one of them we actually really briefly mentioned last week and that this covenant of grace that God begins to bestow on Abraham. Last week we looked at the Babylites or the tower builders and they were trying to make a great name of themselves. They were trying to make much of who they were and kind of have their name established. And if you want to look back really quickly, I'm just going to read Genesis chapter 11, verse 4, which was from last week. It says, the tower builders, then they said, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over all the face of the earth. However, here we read that God is going to make a name out of Abraham that he may be a blessing to many. So the tower builders were trying to make a name for themselves that they may be able to kind of keep themselves together and not be a blessing to the nations. God says instead, no, I'm going to make a great name out of you, Abraham, and through you will be the blessing of the nations, that many people will be blessed through this. So Abraham wasn't just a great city whose tower reaches the heavens, if you want to make this as a point, but Abraham will be a great nation who will show people the way to heaven. The tower builders were trying to build this tower to get into heaven. Instead, Abraham is going to be a blessing to many people to show the way to get into heaven, mainly through belief in the covenant God, Yahweh. Abraham Kuravilla says this, Unlike the self-motivated and self-glorifying endeavors of the tower builders in Genesis 11, Yahweh has an international mission that rivals humanity's self-absorption as he makes the patriarch the agent of his blessings to all. In other words, God wants to reach the whole world, and he's going to begin that process through Abraham. And the same way, I will argue, that God has actually blessed us in our covenant relationship with Christ to be the exact same thing that he called Abraham to be. God has bestowed upon you blessing, the gift of salvation, not so that we can be self-absorbed with this gift, but rather that we too may be a blessing to the nations. God now saves us, calls us out of the land of Ur or out of the land of sin, and brings us into a relationship with him as we journey on this path to heaven. And then he calls us to be a blessing to the nations around us. We are not meant to be selfish like the tower builders, but rather selfless as we give this gift to all. 
Okay, we'll talk more about evangelism per se in our community groups this week, so I won't steal too much of that. But I think the same thing is true in Abraham's life as it is in our life. As God calls you out, he doesn't just give you a gift for your sake, but rather he wants you to begin to act like him. He's a benevolent God who bestows richly upon many people. And so he asks us to be a benevolent people who bestows richly on many people. That the name of God will be proclaimed amongst all the nations, that we will be a blessing to them. Now, there's all this symbolism here in Abraham's story. And if you remember uh, back really from Genesis chapter 1, we keep seeing this theme of sevens and tens, right? These numbers of sevens and the numbers of tens. And what we said is for the Hebrews, the seven and ten, they both represent numbers of completion or perfection. And so God is really showing off how he's going to... uh, uh, work within mankind through some of the numerology here. If you remember last week, we looked at Eber, and Eber was the father of the Hebrews in a lot of ways. In fact, the name Hebrew derives from that name Eber. Well, if you look, Eber uh, is the father. Abraham is actually the seventh from Eber. And so here comes God's completion. Here comes God's perfection. Here comes when God begins to lay out uh, creation, to re- lay out restoration for all of humanity. Even more, we'll see that Judah is the 10th from Eber. And once again, God uh, prophesies through uh, 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 Jacob over Judah's life that the Messiah would come through him. And so we see God's uh, salvation plan beginning to be laid out. We'll get to Judah at the end of this series. Furthermore, we see this repetition of blessing here in these first three verses. In fact, there are five blessings mentioned in just these three verses Now, the reason that's important is because in Genesis chapter 1 to Genesis chapter 11, there are only five blessings mentioned in that whole section of Scripture. And so in these three verses, there are the same amount of the word blessed that's used as is used in all the rest of our story so far. And three of those blessings in Genesis 1 through 11 actually came before the fall happened. And so since the fall, there's only been two mentioned of blessing, but now all of a sudden God lays out this blessing. I'm going to bless the nations. I will bless you. You will be a blessing. God wants to begin to restore humanity to be a blessed people. There are also seven promises that are mentioned in these three verses. So there's that number seven again. And then the word you or your uh, occurs 12 times in these verses, which you know 12 is also a big number for the Hebrews. So over and over again, you see all these little metaphors, all these hints, all these kind of tastes that, hey, something's going on here. This is a pivotal point in Scripture. In fact, this may be one of the most turning points in all of scripture, the fork in the road that makes us go one way or the other. Humanity has in a lot of ways been by themselves up to this point trying to figure it out and they refuse to come to God. So now God is going to come to them and point them in the way into which they can be restored into intimacy with God. And he's going to do it by Abraham's faith and that he would be a blessing to all the nations. God is on a mission to save humanity. Really what God is on a mission to do is to make us whole humans again. Like apart from the intimacy that we were created with Christ, we are not whole people and we feel that. And that's really what Genesis one or three through 11 is trying to tell us. There's something off and we feel it in our hearts. And we know that to be true even today. We know that we were created to not feel this pain, to not feel this frustration, to not feel this depression, to not feel whatever it may be. And God says, yes, you are right about that. It's because you are not whole people, because you are not completely in holy mind. To be a whole person is to be completely submitted to Christ and to who he is and to find our everything in him. 
but our flesh steals that from us. And in our own choices, our sin, we, we get deterred from that. And so God is now going to begin to work out this plan to try to draw us into wholeness again. I don't want to be a spoiler too early, but he says he'll do it through one man and we know, right, that that one man will ultimately be Jesus. But Abraham is a foreshadow of Christ, according to Hebrews. And so in a lot of ways, we can see the way that Christ will begin his salvific plan by looking at the person of Abraham. We see what God wants to do here. He wants to bless. He wants us to receive blessing. He wants us to be whole. We also see God's benevolence even in the language in Genesis 1 through 3. It says that God will bless those Okay, that's a plural word. He will bless those who bless Abraham. However, he will curse whoever, that's a singular word, curses Abraham. You see this all the time throughout scripture where God says, uh, for example, in Deuteronomy that, uh, uh, that whoever uh, comes to God, that his children will be blessed to the hundreds of generations, but he who does not, they'll be cursed to the third and fourth generation. So like sin has its effects. Sin will damage things in a lot of ways, but God does not want to bestow judgment or curses or or uh, harm on humanity. He wants to restore humanity. He wants to make humanity whole again. And so God is looking to bless, not just to curse or to bestow judgment. This is emphasized all the time in scripture. And I think that this is something that if we're honest, we do not see God in this light, right? Like we see God as almost in heaven, like looking for a reason to smite us. I think about sometimes I joke with Natalie, this is, you guys are going to think I'm morbid, whatever. Uh, I joke with Natalie that sometimes I like kind of want somebody to like try to steal her purse or to like push her because I want to fight, right? And like I'm looking for a reason to fight somebody. So it's like do something to my wife and they'll give me an excuse, right? That's not God, okay? That is not the picture of God. God is not looking for a reason to punish you. In fact, he's looking for as many reasons as he can to bless you. To give of himself to you, God wants to bestow blessing on humanity. He is holy. He is just. He is the sovereign king over all. And so, yes, there are commands to line up to, but he keeps trying to provide these ways. Even when we break these commands and when we don't submit to his rule, he still desires to bring us into relationship with him. Now, how does he do that? Well, this story is one of the most important stories in the Bible because it begins to display God's salvation plan for the whole uh, uh, history of mankind, really, and that he bestows these blessings by faith. It's by faith that we get reconciled back to God, that we receive blessing, that we see the fullness of who God is. And when I say receive blessing, don't hear prosperity gospel, hear the blessing of getting to know God, <laughs> Like John 17, 3 says, this is eternal life that you know me. And so Abraham was blessed even though his life was pretty hard. You see Abraham become more and more of a whole person as he has more and more faith in God. In fact, at this story, Abraham's kind of a 2D character, and Scripture does that on purpose. You don't really know much about him. You don't know his feeling, what he's doing, what he's thinking. But as the story continues on, he becomes a 3D character where you can almost empathize and sympathize with him. You can feel why. Scripture's trying to take him from this flat human being to show once he has faith in God, he begins to become this whole person. That same thing is true literally of almost every single character of faith in scripture. They start off very 2D, very flat, and as their life carries on, as they get to know God more, they become more holistic people. And this is what God has designed for us. He wants us to be whole humans. He wants to bless us. 
Now, because man chose to rebel against God, there has to be something now that brings us back into relationship with God, and that is faith. Faith brings us back into intimacy, into blessing. We gain these blessings by faith. The reason why is because our obedience can't match the standard of God's holiness. We cannot be good enough. We cannot build a tower to work our way into heaven. There has to be some other way. And scripture says that other way is by faith. We see this even in God's response here. He wants to bless man abundantly. In three verses, there are seven promises Right, like God is trying to bestow blessing upon us, but it takes faith. Now notice God is calling Abraham to leave what? What is according to this verse is God calling Abraham to leave? Well, it says his country, his kinsmen, and his father's household. Right? Do you see how it shrinks down there? His country, where Abraham knows, what he understands, what he believes in, his kinsmen, his clan, people around him, and even his very father's household, God is calling Abraham to take this huge step of faith here, okay? In those days, like, the father's household was everything. I know some of us, we, like, long to leave our father's household, right? Like, let me step out, and that's the act of faith. No, it was very different those days. What Abraham would have to do is he would have to believe that God was now going to be his father, that God would be his provider, that he didn't need a family to provide for him because God would give that to him. God is calling him to literally trust in him because to leave your father's household, that's to leave your inheritance, that's to leave everything behind. And God says, this is what I want of you. Come and follow me. Abraham knows to do that, he could have ended up being a poor beggar in a lot of ways. And so Abraham has to have faith in God. Furthermore, if you look at verse 1, God doesn't even show him where they're going to go yet. Right? He just says, hey, come and follow me. Okay? Hey, come on and, and by faith follow me. He doesn't say, and this is what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to give you a kid and, and all this land. and this. He doesn't do that yet. Okay? He just tells Abraham, hey, follow me. And God does that all the time in scripture. He calls us out into something, but does not give us the reason why he's calling us out. Amen? Right? You know that to be true. One of my favorite stories is that of Moses. Moses is on the mountain arguing with God. God, how do I know you're going to send me? Okay? And he says, God, what is the sign that you're going to give me that you are truly with me? And God says, when you come back to this mountain and worship me, you will know that I sent you. What a terrible sign, right? God, that's not the sign I'm looking for, okay, is what my response would have been. But God does this all the time. Hey, I'm not just going to sit here and try to prove to you. I want you to have faith. Hebrews 11:6. 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so God wants us to step out in faith because when we become dependent on him, that's when we're fully human, that's what the text is trying to show us. If God were going to give us all these steps to prove that he's good, it would not make us dependent on him. And if we are not dependent on him, we are not fully alive. We are not fully human. But in order for us to be fully human, we have to have faith. Instead of trying to choose our own good and evil, here's what I'll do. No, 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 this is what's good. This is what's evil. No, God, you show me this. This is Adam and Eve. I'm going to choose my own path. But God wants us to just trust him. Because in that, we release all burden off of our shoulders of being God. We let him be God, and we just get to walk under his benevolent blessing, which is us knowing him. So he calls Abraham for faith. Let's keep reading. Verse 4. So Abraham went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now, this is all 
accounted, okay, in Abraham's life. He is now 75 years old, and this is kind of when we get to see Abraham for the first time, all right? So really quick aside point, all right? I hear this a lot. A lot of people feel like, oh, like I've wasted my life or, man, I really wish I was following Christ when I was like 18, and then I would, you know, be really on fire now, or, oh, Abraham's 75, right? Like like that's, that's getting up there. Right? Like, if we could be honest, okay? And this is when we first even hear this dude's name. Like, we don't even know Abraham exists until he's 75 years old. And then God begins to use him. It's never too late to be obedient to God and who he is. You can begin right now to walk with him, and God can use you. You may say, well, well Abraham lived a really long time. Okay, that's fine. What about Moses? <laughs> Moses, we get his story, he's a boy, he kills somebody, and then we don't hear from him again until he's 80. Like, that's when we check back in with him, like, hey, is everything all right here with Moses? And then he's 80 and he starts being used by God. It's never too late to be obedient to God and what he's calling us to do. And so that is true even here in Abraham. Abraham does, as we see, have this measure of faith in God because he immediately goes and follows what God is calling him to do. It doesn't say like then nine years passed and he was like, okay, God, I guess I'll go, right? Like immediately God says, hey, leave all this. And then it says, and then Abraham left. Abraham went, he had faith in God. He began to walk with him. Now, even in this verse, there's actually a sign of not yet full trust in God, and we'll get to that next week. But we see Abraham willing to follow God, to trust God. God wants to bless Abraham, and Abraham, by faith, desires to receive that blessing to walk in the fullness of God. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, it would actually call Abraham the father of faith. Abraham was the father of showing us how we restore our relationship with God, right? Most of the heroes in the faith, in Hebrews 11, which some call the hall of faith, if you will, uh, all these uh, biblical heroes are mentioned. And to all of them, they get one verse. They did this. Look at their faith. They did this. Look at their faith. Even David, one verse. Look at his faith. Moses gets six verses. Abraham gets 12 verses. Abraham is the father of faith in a lot of ways because We don't have a whole lot to go off of at this point in Scripture that Yahweh is actually a good, benevolent, beautiful God. We're not 100% certain of that, as Abraham was not. He has not seen the resurrected Christ. He has not seen God split the Red Sea. He has not seen all these promises. He has to just believe, and he does. He does. He walks out in faith. Let's finish our text. Verse 5. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haram, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moriah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country of the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on his west and Ai on his east. And there, he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abraham journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. So Abraham is going, doing what God has called him to do. He goes forth. And what happens, the scripture gives this detailed map to us. Why is scripture laying out all these places that Abraham did this? Well, essentially, if you look at the land of Israel, what happens is is that uh, Abraham starts in the northern parts of Canaan, and that's where God reveals himself to him, and then Abraham builds an altar there. 
And then he goes down to Bethel and Ai, which is the center parts of Israel. And God is there again, so he builds an altar there. And then if you look in Genesis chapter 13, verse 18, which we will next week, he's in the southern part of Canaan, and God reveals himself, and he builds an altar there. The north, the middle, and the south with Bethel and Ai on the east and the west. What is that showing us? Here is his virtual possession of the land. Yes, he does not have it yet, but what Abraham does is he doesn't wait for all this conquest to happen or for people just to give the land over to him. No, Abraham has faith that this is the land that God is promising. Here is the land. God keeps revealing himself to me. This is where I will make your home. And so Abraham builds an altar there, not waiting for God to fulfill his promise, but rather trusting God is going to fulfill his promise. And here is the whole map, if you will, of what will end up being Israel. So Abraham has this faith in God once again. Furthermore, if you look at that text, in verse 8, it tells us that, or verse 7, that Abraham lived in a tent. But in verse 8, it says that he built an altar to the Lord. What is going on there? A tent is a temporary dwelling. An altar is a permanent establishment. Abraham saw his life as one that was being led by God. He didn't need a home per se, but God, he's established, he's present. And so even in this, you see this act of faith that Abraham doesn't build his house here. He says, I'm gonna go where God has called me. God has called me to go, and so I will go. But where God wants his presence, I will build an altar there to represent, to symbolize God's presence is here. God's place is permanent. Abraham's place is temporary. Unlike previous generations, people have tried to build a name for themselves by building cities. Remember, Cain tried to build a city, and the Babylonians tried to build a city, and you see all this city dwelling, but Abraham instead, he's a sojourner, right? He's moving around waiting for God. He just wants the name of God to be established. Abraham gets it. God is the name that is worthy to be praised, not Abraham's. And so rather than building a name for himself, he wants to build a name for God. Last exegetical point I'll make in this text. Look at verse 7 again. It says that the Lord appeared to Abraham. You see that there? And then the Lord appeared. This is the first theophany, which is a fancy word for saying a physical appearing of God. Okay? This is the first theophany that we get in Scripture outside of Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. So it looks like God is walking in the garden with Adam and Eve. It looks like he's present with them. There's a physical representation of God. But then at the fall of man, there is no more of that up until this point. And then all of a sudden, Abraham sees God. One point I want to make about this is that in verse 1, Abraham only heard the voice of God, which is what Noah and Enoch and everybody up to this point has done. They've just heard the voice of God, whether it's in their heart or the, the thunderous sound in the sky. We don't really know, but they heard the voice of God. But now all of a sudden, Abraham gets to see God. What does that show us? Well, he gets more of God as he obeys God. Abraham first just heard God. He took those steps of obedience, didn't know where he was supposed to go. Then God appears to him and says, this is where I want you to establish. He builds an altar there. Then he keeps going and God speaks to him again. And we see God be more and more present in Abraham's life. And just wait till we get to chapter 15, probably my favorite chapter in scripture, where God keeps revealing more and more and more as Abraham takes steps of obedience. Here's why I want to highlight that point. A lot of us, we want God like we want to know God, we want to experience God, we want to feel God, we want to be where God is. But then we don't take steps of obedience that he's calling us to do to receive that blessing. The blessing is the presence of the Lord. All the scriptures would attest to that. 
And so as Abraham walks by faith, he receives more and more of God. And what we do is we go, God, where are you at? But he's already told us what he wants us to do. And we don't take those steps of obedience, but then we expect to receive his blessing. Blessing comes by faith, and faith shows itself to be true by what? Obedience, by works. James says without, uh, faith without works is dead. Okay? And so what happens is, is as you truly believe in God, it will motivate you to actually follow God works. So we are not saved by works, but our faith does make us into a people that do works for God because it changes who we are. And this is hard because most of us want a God that just is like a cosmic vending machine. We put the quarter in, hit A6, and we expect the bag of chips to fall out. It doesn't fall out, so we smack it a couple of times and hope that it falls out. I mean, it's funny, but isn't that how you and I treat God oftentimes? We just expect him to, at our every whim, answer this, answer this, do this, do this. As if we are God and he is our servant, like he's a genie. He's a holy God to be loved, but in him we find true blessing. And so, yes, he's holy, he's sovereign, he knows what he's doing there. We can't just smack him around like a broken vending machine, right? But, but God wants to bestow blessing upon us. And so we show this covenant relationship. We draw forth near to God by faith. It's by faith that all of this happens. He's a holy God who chooses to reveal himself. But in that choice, he shows how benevolent he is. So then we want more of him and we submit to him. And as we submit to him, we see him more and more clearly. God is this beautiful, beautiful God. Anything less, God will be a usable good. And that's not the type of God that you want to serve, trust me. If God is a usable good, he bends at the whim of who you are, and you don't even know what you want for dinner half the time. You're not a good sovereign over your life. You're not a good savior. You know it, which is why you feel the burden of that. But as we submit to God, we get to see more and more of who he is. A lot of us are seeking God on our terms rather than on his terms. But his terms are burdenless. Just trust me. And I will remove all your burden. You will receive blessing. You will get me, God says. But we have to trust him in that. Why? Because he needs this? No, by no means. In fact, it's the exact opposite. He doesn't actually need this at all. Okay? Instead, he wants to give us blessing. Us worshiping God, us submitting to God, it doesn't make his ego bigger. He doesn't really need us to do that. Okay? Like we don't add to the value of God that much. And if we would think that, we would be lying and deceiving ourselves about how valuable we actually are. Yet, in this weird act of grace, we are so valuable that God is willing to send his son to die on a cross that he may redeem us. And so even though we're all messed up and broken, God desires intimacy with us. And so you get this weird dichotomy, and you see it even in the life of Abraham. Because what we'll see is Abraham stumbles and bumbles around in this act of faith. Abraham literally walks in this life and you see all these mistakes, yet God keeps giving blessing, keeps bestowing himself on Abraham. Why? Because God wants a relationship with those whom he has created. God loves you. That's what the text tells us. God loves you. And as we, by faith, submit to that sovereign rule of God, he calls us out into these seemingly scary situations. We walk out into them, realize that God is there. It's not scary at all. And then he calls us into more, and we walk out in those and realize it's not that scary at all. And as we keep walking in this progression of faith, God keeps making us more and more alive. He makes us more human because he makes us trust him and who he is more completely. God is a good, good God. 
In the garden, man originally obeyed God. He was completely dependent on him, but then he decided to try to be his own God, and that's where all of us are today. And so God's reversing this. He's redeeming this. He's drawing us into intimacy with himself. That's why he calls for our faith. Not that he needs it, but he wants us to be submitted to him that we may receive who he is, that we may not try to be our own gods. And this is what stepping in faith means. Even Jesus, when he walked on earth, wasn't he our example of this? He said things like, I can do nothing except for what the Father told me. I am completely and totally and fully submitted to the Father. And if God didn't say it, then I'm not going to do it. Jesus is completely obedient to God and who he is. The Holy Spirit, Jesus says, is completely submissive to the Father and the Son, does nothing on his own own will. You see, even within the Trinity, though they are all God, you see this aspect of this submission of being completely reliant on one another. Jesus is our example of this. And I would argue that God is fully alive. He's fully human, if you will, fully complete. He's lacking nothing. Why? There's all this submission. There's all this dependency, not on self, but on other. And that's what God wants to bring us into, that we may be made whole. Okay? So we want to find our ultimate blessing in God rather than trust the wisdom of our own heart. And in him, this blessing that we keep talking about is his presence and is who he is. I think back even to the story of the church as God tries to stretch our faith And I was thinking this week a lot about the church. And one of the things I was thinking of was when we first started, there's 11 people meeting in this jankety living room where the fans were making this weird noise like one of these fans are today. Don't worry, I heard it. You guys are looking up at that. Some weird squeaking noise. If you didn't hear it, now you do. Sorry. All right. Fan was making all this weird noise, okay, jerking around, right? And we're 11 people. We grew that to about 22 people. And then we said, hey, we probably should meet on Sunday at some point. And we should start really forming this church. At the time, we had three people that were interning for us throughout the whole summer, all college students. But they were interning for us. And so their job was to literally find a church building that we can meet in. Now, here's the deal. We wanted to meet at night, okay? Most churches meet in the morning like we do now. And so we thought, hey, that's going to be pretty hard in East Austin. There's not a lot of space, so let's just try to meet at night. And to my knowledge, if I remember this right, uh, we contacted 73 different places and asked them, can we meet in the morning or can we meet at night? We'll pay rent. We'll do all these things, churches, bars, comedy clubs, businesses, office spaces, literally anything we can get. And out of the 73 things, we got no's from all 73 of them. Or it was like, yeah, your rent will be 11000 a month. Okay. <laughs> And just to inform you, our first year's budget holistically was, I think, $32,000 for the whole year, all right? So $11,000 a month, this isn't cutting it. So we're sitting here, we're praying, we're trying to figure out, God, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And it's literally August 20th, and we don't have a spot, and we're supposed to start the first week in September. So I thought, man, maybe God just doesn't send us. We already got sent from our other church. They were like, yay, they're going. We're like, yeah, we're going, but we don't even have a spot to meet yet, right? And so we're going, and then one church called me. I said, hey, I heard that y'all were looking for places. How come you didn't contact me? It was Greater Mount Zion. I said, it was because your space is like for 1,300 people. We have 20. That's going to feel real awkward, <laughs> right? They said, well, we have this annex facility, and you can use it at night. And in comes what we know belovedly as the dungeon. And so we get into the dungeon, and it's this awesome space where it's small enough where if you're only 20 people, it doesn't feel weird, all right? But he said, hey, we believe in church planting. We want to give this space to you for free. What? 
can we like buy a speaker for you or something, you know? No, no, I want to give a space to you for free. God literally waited till the last second. Why? To make us trust in him. And now when I tell that story, you don't go, wow, Tori's a really awesome planter. You go, God is a really good God, <laughs> right? Like that was not effort of man. That was God bestowing that upon us. Fast forward just a couple of weeks later, those 22 people, we said, hey, everyone, invite everyone you know, right? Like, let's do this junk. And then four weeks in, we were 27 people. 22 to 27 isn't very good church planting strategy going forward, right? So we're 27 people. And now on a weekend like last weekend and this weekend, we're like 150, even though literally almost half of our covenant community was gone this past week. Like, like look at what God's doing, right? What is he doing though? He's stretching our faith. And we were 27 people. I thought, well, right? Like, like maybe we'll merge with the church in a couple of months and really bless them. And now God has put us in a position where we can begin to think about planting our own churches. Like, man, God is a good God, right? But he wants us to trust in him. I can tell 50 stories about the church's life that shows God is trying to force trust into us. Why? Because this is when we become fully alive. God is real. He's good. He loves us. He takes care of us. He wants us to see he is a good, good father. It's who he is. It's who he is. It's who he is, right? So God wants us to trust him. This is why I actually can believe that God's hand is on this church because he doesn't let things come easily. He forces us to trust him. This is why I hope that, I pray that the 100 churches in the first 50 years becomes true because today it looks like, oh, that's not gonna happen. But who knows? As you trust God, as you step out in faith, man, maybe God will bless that. Maybe people will come into the intimacy with the creator and who he is. So question for us today, our application in that, is how is God calling you to be obedient? How is he calling you to step out by faith? In what ways is he calling you to leave your country, your kinsmen, your father's household to be obedient to his name? Maybe for some of you that's a huge thing. He's calling you to be a missionary in Tanzania or something. Man, bless that. Praise the Lord. Walk in that. For some of you, what God is telling, calling you to do is, hey, talk to that coworker. You know the one I keep putting on your heart every month? Share the gospel with them. And God knows better than we do. He's probably working in the background, but we're terrified, right? We don't step out in faith, but when we do that, we get the blessing, the promise, the presence of God. We get to see who he is. That makes us trust him even that much more in the future, and that makes us whole humans, so what trial does God have in your life right now where he's trying to pull your trust toward him, not in yourself? And how can you walk, believe in that? How can you lean into God in the midst of that? These are moments of faith that he uses to try to stretch us to believe in him more and more and more because to be fully submitted to him is to become fully alive. I know that many of you in the room have been even wrestling with faith holistically. Does God exist? Is he who he says he is? What does it mean to follow him? Uh, Mark Twain was attributed with saying, he who carries a cat by the tail learns something that he can learn in no other way. <laughs> I love that quote, okay? And I believe that because here's what he's saying, right? I can get up here week after week and plead and implore and use analogies and similes and show you the scratches on my arm because I say, I carried a cat by the tail, don't do this. And I can plead and plead and plead and plead, but there's something about the man who has held a cat by the tail that will know something that no amount of pleading can put in them. He's seen, he believes now, he won't do that ever again. 
Now, some by wisdom will say, okay, I'm just going to trust and I'm going to believe that. Some of us have to experience that, right? And in a lot of ways, I think that that's kind of what it means to wrestle with God in faith. Because to be honest, I can get up and plead and plead and plead. And I can use the most eloquent language or the most simple language or draw analogies and similes and, and long and beckon and plead for you to know God. But at some point, you just got to grab the cat by the tail. And God has been wrestling with some of your hearts to just trust him, to believe in him. And you're waiting, you're saying, God, reveal more, reveal more, reveal more. And he has. He's called you into a body where he wants to show himself off to you. He's given you the scriptures. He's revealed his love for you by the death of his son. And he calls you to step out in faith, to believe in him. This is what it means to be saved because in that we become to be fully human. He starts the process of making us whole people again till we are fully dependent on him. And that great day, no longer having to carry the burden of trying to be our own savior, of trying to figure out what good and evil is by ourselves. And so for some of you, God is calling, man, step out. Trust Christ. Make him the king of your hearts. He's been pleading and longing for you to do that. For others of you, you do know him. You've taken that step of faith, and you didn't know what you were getting into at first. And now you see you would never go back to your old life. Except we do, don't we? We go back to our old life over and over and over again. We stick our hands back in the grave, and God is trying to remove that from us too. And as we take steps of faith, as we believe in him, he sanctifies us. He makes us more and more like himself. In what way is he calling you to leave your country, your kinsmen, your father's household, to follow him? Notice, it's going to be self-sacrificial. Jesus said, if any of you would be my disciple, then pick up your cross and follow me. Come and die, Jesus says. And the call is still true today. It's sacrificial, but in that sacrifice is where you know God. And so even right now, like I'm, I'm pleading, how has the Holy Spirit been impressing on your heart? Man, take that step of faith. Walk in that. Trust God. Follow him. I'll tell you what, a lot of what he said is already found in the scriptures. How are they convicting you to walk in him? Are you in these enough to be able to hear the voice of God, to know what he's calling you to do? Now, here's the beautiful thing. At this point, a lot of us will feel the burden of trying to carry out this faith on our own. But if we're honest, which we'll see in Abraham's life, all of us stumble and bumble around to the finish line right? None of us in here are perfect. We all feel the weight of this. And this is where Jesus is our true and greater Abraham. See, Jesus left his country of heaven and he left his kinsmen and the angels and the elders and the choirs and the holy, holy, holies of the Lamb of God. And he left his father, his father's household to come into a nation of earth so that through him, remember the you is mentioned 12 times? Well, Jesus is the true you. Through Jesus, the many nations will be blessed. Here are the many nations right now. Look at the diversity in our church. Isn't this carried out fully? We see it in Jesus. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, the many nations were drawn to him, and we find our blessing in him. Jesus is the fulfillment of Genesis 12, 1 through 3. He left. He came down. He showed himself. And through belief in him, he brings us back home to be with him. 
One day there will be no more suffering. There will be no more wandering and traveling. We will find our true home forever. And this is what God wants us to see. And so when we do stumble and bumble around through faith, we have a Savior that can save us. And he says, just place your trust in me. Make me king of your heart and of your life. And as we learn how to do that, and as we walk in faith, when we mess up and when he says, hey, can you go say hi to your neighbor? I want to start building a relationship for the gospel. And you go, oh, gosh, that's too scary. And you run inside. As we stumble and bumble through faith, okay, God saves us. Throw yourself under the blood of Jesus to wash away the sin and all the ways that you try to be your own gods and not live by faith and you decide what's right and wrong and you make yourself to be king. Listen, we have a cross for that. As we mess up, we get to cling to Jesus. But once you cling to that cross, friends, be disciples. Step out. Take these leaps of faith. Be obedient to him. In that obedience, we get to see the fullness of God and find blessing in him. Amen? Amen. Hey, I love you guys. I'm very, very, very proud of the church, by the way. I want to say that publicly. I'm proud of how you guys are handling the season that we're in right now. God is doing a lot of good work. I love you guys. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for being our true and better Abraham. That we don't have to get all this right on our own. You knew that we would not be able to fully trust and to fully believe in you. And so Jesus, you fully submitted to the Father. You trusted in him at every single turn, even when it meant death on the cross and facing the very wrath of God. Though you did not want to go, you submitted anyway and you believed, Jesus. Man, thank you for that, God. God, I pray that we would believe in that the cross of Christ, and that through that it would change who we are, that we would become less dependent on self, more dependent on you, washed under the blood of who you are, Jesus. Let that be true in our hearts and our lives, God. God, I pray that you would just do a good work, Jesus. I pray even right now, Holy Spirit, that you would convict us. How are you calling us to step out in faith? For some of us, that's to believe in you for the first time and to make you king. Show that that's the better way than trying to be kings ourselves. For others of us, that means to follow you in these different ways. God, show us what that means. Help us to have faith. When we don't have faith, forgive us. Help our unbelief, Jesus. Make us fully human, God. Fully alive. We pray these things in your precious name. Amen. Um,